Welcome to Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer, a podcast where testicular cancer survivors, caregivers, and others who have navigated the cancer journey share their stories. The podcast comes to you from the Max Mallory Foundation, a nonprofit family foundation focused on educating about testicular cancer in honor and in memory of Max Mallory, who died in 2016 at the young age of 22 from testicular cancer. Had he survived, Max wanted to help young adults with cancer. This podcast helps meet that goal. Here now is your host, Joyce Lofstrom, Max's mom and a young adult cancer survivor. Joyce, and with me today is Richard Kentish. He's a professional training captain with Ryanair and a former commercial air pilot in the UK. He grew up wanting to be a pilot and he achieved that dream, including his 18 month hiatus when he had to navigate his journey with testicular cancer, which we will talk about today. He joins me to share that story and tell us more about his career in the airlines and the aviation industry and how he now helps raise awareness about testicular cancer. So, Richard, thanks so much for being with me today. I appreciate it. I know you've been busy. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me on your podcast. So tell us your story. What was your uh, journey with testicular cancer? Anything you'd like to share with us? Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll share the, the full story. Basically, it started back in January, February 2020. So just when the pandemic was sort of starting a couple of years ago. Uh, And it all started with me being sat on the sofa on a Sunday afternoon. And my eldest daughter, who was four at the time, jumped on me, as four-year-olds tend to do that. Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And unfortunately, she caught me wrong and and caught me in the gentleman area. Uh, It hurt at the time as all gentlemen will agree, but then didn't think anything of it. So um, probably a day later, something like that, uh, noticed that one was slightly larger than the other one. I thought, oh, that's odd. Maybe because she caught me wrong in that area, it must be just be swollen due to that. Then uh, a few days later, um, I mentioned it to the wife, and then a few days later, she's nagging me, you need to go to the doctor, you need to go to the doctor's. Uh, and obviously I was like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll go down. And then uh, in this, <laughs> this period of time, it's getting bigger and bigger. Um, so she drags me to the local GP um, here in the village where we live. And um, I go and see them. And uh, obviously show my testicles to the doctor. The doctor has a good feel. And he's like, you know what? There's no lumps. So it's definitely not testicular cancer so I was like perfect so off he goes to speak to his colleague then they come in have a good feel and have a good look because <laughs> they're a bit mystified by right. it all uh, and then they're like oh okay we'll, we'll send you for a scan anyway so they send me in for an ultrasound and I've had ultra I've got two children so obviously had ultrasounds before when my wife was pregnant and this experience was completely different. I'm <laughs> sure it was, yes. Because <laughs> usually they're very chatty, the sonographers. They're like, oh, this and that, la, 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 la. And this sonographer was absolutely deadly silent. She didn't say a word. 
um which my wife was sat next to me at the time and she was like that's not good that she didn't really say anything and I was like well you know it's not like a pregnancy thing <laughs> you know so right. it's not often they're going to talk about things but um but anyway the following day I get a phone call from the head GP in the surgery in our village saying oh they found something suspicious so um we have to refer you to a consultant so I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then being an airline pilot, we have our own medicals and things like that that we have to keep. So um, I was like, okay, now this is a, I have to inform the authorities that I've, I've got to see a consultant. So I speak to my aeromedical doctor and then they're like, right, I have to suspend your medical with immediate effect. Which no. I know. What does that I, mean? What does that mean? So every um, year, or as pilots get older, every six months, we have to have a medical. Uh, okay. And this basically means that we can or can't fly or operate on the aircraft. So we all worry about it because we think the doctor's going to take away our medicals and all this sort of stuff. It's like our biggest fear because it's the end of your career, okay. <laughs> effectively. Right. So um, so I ring up my aeromedical doctor just for advice. And I just say, oh, this has happened. And he's like, okay, well, we've got to suspend your medical immediate effect. You can't operate anymore. You can't do anything to do with your license. So I was like, okay, so now I have to tell work. And I was in a car park at a supermarket at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when the doctor rung me. And the wife, my wife had just gone in um, to get some food quickly before we we're picking the children up from nursery school. So I ring my boss and then tell them and they're like, oh, my God. Uh, and they were incredibly supportive work, actually, in that respect, which was brilliant. So then I couldn't work from that point. Then the following week, I see the consultant was really <laughs> good sense of humor, nice guy. Funnily enough, his brother actually worked for us years ago and then... Um, got fired Small. but that's a different story <laughs> another podcast right? yeah another podcast that one so um so then now I'm with the consultant and then he says I've got your scan here I can tell from the scan it is 100% testicular cancer I don't even have to look at you uh to examine you to know this I can see it from the scan here so I was like obviously your whole world sort of falls down at that moment because anyone saying that you've got cancer is pretty devastating so my wife was in tears I was just genuinely in shock um and then he's like don't worry of all the cancers to have this is the best one yeah. <laughs> that's right okay and he's trying to position it that I'm very lucky at the... <laughs> right, <laughs> I didn't feel right. particularly lucky at the point so he's like you are really lucky to have it here because statistically it is curable and all this sort of stuff like that. So then they whipped me in for surgery the following week uh, to have an orchidectomy. Uh, and I have to say, we're very lucky in the UK with the NHS, the National Health Service. Um, it's all free. Yes. Uh, and they were absolutely fantastic. I felt like a VIP as I went in there. They all knew I was a pilot. They all knew I had two young children and I hadn't even met these people before. And I was, they've obviously just read my notes and then um, they all had a great sense of humor and really looked after me. Uh, they very kindly gave me a prosthetic um, instead of just having one. So um, I look symmetrical in that respect. Um, and then after that, they, uh, that was the end of February. Then March, 
um, I was in like recovery for that point. And then COVID hit because in March in the UK, lockdown 2020 arrived. Right. Uh, and then usually with that procedure, the orchidectomy, um, you're supposed to have a minimum of one cycle of BEP chemotherapy um, just to make sure everything is all good. So um, they then give me, uh, sorry, just before my operation, they gave me a CT scan, actually, apologies. Um, and just as I was going under, they said, look, the cancer hasn't spread. Then they performed the operation. So that was good news to sort of go under to. So at that point, I was only stage one cancer. Um, then they they said due to COVID, no one really know anything about it then. So they're like in March time. Okay, BEP chemotherapy, it can affect your lungs. Uh, any form of chemotherapy can affect your lungs. So, and with COVID, it affects your lungs. We've tested your bloods. Your bloods are saying you haven't got any cancer in your bloods. So we're suggesting that you don't do the one cycle of chemotherapy uh, because at the moment, your bloods are telling us that you're free of cancer. So... On that recommendation, I was like, you know what? I'm free of cancer. Why risk it? Why have chemotherapy right, and right. potentially get COVID and, and get myself into a bigger problem? So we decide, um, my wife and I, that the best route is to just go down the monitor route, which they do anyway, to have blood tests every three months and scans. Um, and then, lo and behold, three months later, my blood test shows that I've got um cancer hormones in my blood again oh boy so it's all happening again so it's just like oh okay and I was just in the process of getting my medical back so I could return to work and normality could resume yes um so then yeah so July that happened in July then August they were like right you need three cycles of BEP chemotherapy um the CT scan is showing that you've got um your Lymph nodes have got uh, a, a lump on. So do the chemotherapy. That started in August, finished October time. Chemo, it was tough. It was tough. because yeah, um, I know it is. I know. Yeah. yeah my children, because I've got two daughters, they shaved my head for me and we tried to present it, position it as fun, if that makes sense. So it didn't really harm them or hurt them, which was incredibly hard. Uh, even thinking about it now is making me well up. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, then, yeah, they just thought daddy had a silly haircut. Um, with chemotherapy, I was the only one that's allowed to go in due to COVID. So I couldn't do it with anyone, but everyone else is in the same boat. Um, met some great people. Um, I was very lucky. I felt incredibly lucky when I went for my chemotherapy sessions. Uh, BEP chemotherapy is quite intensive. Um, I went in... The cycle works um, three days on the first week, three days on the second week, and then just one day on the third week, and then that would start again. So it was relatively intensive chemotherapy. Uh, and the days were full. I was hooked up to a, a machine for the full eight hours, having all the um, drugs put into me. Um, so I lost my hair very quickly. Um, even though we shaved my head but I lost all my hair very quickly and then felt ill quite quickly as well so that was quite tough missed my youngest daughter's first day at school because I had to do chemotherapy that day which was incredibly tough mm -hmm. um, 
I have to say my wife is the best human being on the planet. <laughs> uh, I couldn't have done it without her. Couldn't possibly love that woman more than I possibly do right now. She was absolutely, well, she is fantastic, fantastic in every way. So um, credit to her holding the family together, looking after me. She was working a full-time job at the time. I, looking back on it, I don't know how she did it. Um, and she, she's, she's just generally amazing yeah. <laughs> i'm no, very, I know. very lucky that's... to be married to her yeah you're lo- that support's important it really oh, is so. it really is it really is the support that she gave me was second to none because of covid i couldn't see my mom i couldn't see my brothers and sisters it was completely just us as a family which was great because i love spending time with them um but that other support network just wasn't there it, it yeah. didn't exist uh during covid um even the sort of support the hospital gave with the foundation center it's called that they've got um it was all virtual so it wasn't really face-to-face stuff um so it it really suffered for anyone that was going through cancer treatment during uh, the covid it was very very difficult um but good news after my um chemotherapy I uh, had a meeting with a doctor. My wife was there. <laughs> the doctor was like, we've got good news and bad news. We was like, what would you like first? So we were like, okay, we'll go with the good news, please. And he's like, the good news is you are cancer free. So we were very, very happy. My wife and I couldn't believe it. Uh, both of us crying at that point. And then we were like, well, what's the bad news then? Yeah. <laughs> so the bad news is... Unfortunately, your tumour grew during your chemotherapy, which it's not supposed to do do that. It's supposed to effectively disappear. Um, So he's like, it's gone from one centimetre to 12 centimetres now on your abdominal lymph node, which is quite a large lump now, which sits behind your stomach. Right. Which I didn't, I didn't notice it. I, I didn't look any different. It's all hidden away, so you can't can't see any of that stuff. Um, didn't feel any different. My appetite hadn't changed or anything, so um, it was a bit odd. So he's like, "Now you need an RPLND operation, which is basically to remove these lymph nodes uh, and the tumor, which is pretty uh, large um, surgery. So they fully um, open you up from." This is the middle of your chest all the way down to your pubic bone. They have to, and your abdominal lymph nodes are behind your stomach and attached to your spine. But they have to come in from the front. So they have to move the whole of my bowel out of the way, which they did, um, and remove as well, just temporarily took it out of me. Yeah. <laughs> removed the um, tumor. Uh, and then, yeah removes the other lymph nodes and then put my bowel back together again uh, and then sew me back up. So I was in hospital for a good week. Uh, I came out of, I was I had to go into intensive care for a couple of days. Uh, again, the NHS were fantastic. They really looked after me. I did the operation up in London. Um, and yeah, then after that, I could go home. And it was pretty much all good news after that. They'd uh, completely exercised the um, tumour and they tested the nodes and they were all negative, the other nodes that were next to it. Uh, And then 
now in January I had to go on a low fat diet because your abdominal lymph nodes absorb fat and all that sort of stuff. But it was only for a month or so because I had some uh, liquid there because the lymph nodes didn't know what to do with it. Uh, yeah. But anyway, they found another way. So that's good. So, um, and then, yeah, I've been cancer free now for 18 months. I'll be two years in October. Wow. Well, that's, that's so interesting about the tumor getting bigger. I guess I have a couple of questions. Of so it, you said when you, when you had the, the lump in your testicle removed, that, that there was no sign of cancer in your blood and they recommended one round of chemo and then three months later i guess whatever was there showed up because then you had to do three rounds is that right of the BEP? that's right well they they because of covid normally you would do one round of chemo to sort of make sure that all it's all being destroyed right uh, unfortunately due to covid they said it's not that's not do the risk of that. Right, right. That let's not do the one round of chemo. So I think if I did do the one round of chemo, I wouldn't have had to have the RPLND operation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing, if you are willing to talk about it, is just I think some of the listeners might be interested in your experience with uh, prostheses. Because um, right. I, haven't, I haven't talked to anyone who's mentioned that. So are you... Can you just talk about it? I mean, how they just gave it to you? I mean, yeah, no, it's it's um, it's no problem at all. Um, the surgeon just at the time measured <laughs> the other one, the good yeah. one, uh, and then they it's silicon, um, very much like a, a breast implant, like a breast implant. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then um, they just dropped that in with, and they attached it with a cord. Um, so it all sits as it should. Okay. That's, I mean, to me, that's interesting because I think, I don't know how many men are aware of that option. Maybe they are, you know, at the time of surgery. So it's really not it's like, I mean, I've had a mastectomy and had not a silicone implant, but just right. my own fat, you know, they could use yeah. that. But I mean, it's, it sounds pretty seamless, you know, to be able to do that at the time of surgery, if that's something that you would want. Yeah, you know? it was pretty so, straightforward for them, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, no, it, it didn't seem like an issue at all. Uh, they offered it straight away. I didn't have to ask for it. Um, they were really, really good. Really, really good. And yeah. you wouldn't uh, know that I've got a prosthetic. You just wouldn't. Yeah, I, so I, yeah I think that's good to know that. For any of the people listening, what do you think was your biggest challenge, Richard, when you were going through all of this? Um, biggest challenge? Well, there's quite a few challenges. Probably um, missing the significant points for my children. So not being able to take my daughter to her first day at school, yeah. which is like a big moment in any parent's life. Um, that really hurt because I had to go to hospital for chemo that day. Yeah. And unfortunately, chemo can't wait. You have to have it. Um, then the effects on the people around me. Sorry, I'm just welling up a bit here. Oh, um, that's okay. No, no, it's just, it, it's good. It's good. I'm quite happy to carry on. It's not a problem. But um, that was hard. Like my wife found it very, very hard um, seeing me like that um going through the chemotherapy um and she's amazing couldn't couldn't love her more she is an amazing woman 
but that that that's probably the the biggest things I found hard was I wasn't worried about myself like it's the other people around you that it affects um for sure definitely they were the biggest challenges for me yeah and I think you make a good point as a parent you know, and you have young children I mean children of any age but especially when they're younger and they there are those milestones like that first day of school, which you mm-hmm. know I remember with my boys too. You know, it, it is a big moment, and you want to be yeah. there. So um, I know that had to be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk us through your aviation career because I, you know, we lo- hooked up on LinkedIn, and I know you're you're a pilot, and now you're a trainer, or are you doing both? Or just yeah, I'm flying. Your- I'm flying again now. So. Um... I got my medical back shortly after my RPLND operation and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so that post on LinkedIn was me being released back to the line as a, as a pilot with a, without being with a trainer or an, another training captain. So, um, yeah, I joined uh, work 15 years ago. I've been with uh, Ryanair and it's the same business model as Southwest in America. Okay. So okay. it's 737s. Um, doing short haul operations, operating into all sorts of airports all around. It's basically the European version of that. Um, yeah, well, they work quite hard. Well, the roster's five on, four off. And then the five on, they do work as hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, then um, I'm very lucky. I went into the training department about 10 years ago and started working in the simulator as a training first officer. So not many airlines do training first officers, but we do. Um, and then got my command, then became a training captain, uh, which is then training and checking other pilots uh, when we're taking passengers uh, on the line. And then I've been a TRE, so an examiner, um, working in the simulator for about five years now. So I all the pilots or every pilot needs to have a a check every six months to check that they're competent enough to operate the aircraft. So I do all sorts of horrible things to them in the simulator, like engine (laughs) failures and fires. (laughs) Um, And then I grade them on how, how they do that. So, and I do a fly as well and check and train on the line on the aircraft too. Boy, that's, Um, yeah. So yeah, it's great. I lo- I do love my job in that respect. It is good. It's very, very, very good. A lot of fun. So you fly all over Europe, then, is what you're saying? Yes, yeah, yeah all yeah. over Europe. So yeah. short haul, effectively. So our longest flights down to Tenerife, which is about four, four and a half hours, something like that, and then come back on the same day. Yeah, Southwest is. Um, I fly many different airlines. I usually go to Kansas City, um, Missouri, right. where I'm from. But you know, it's a very um, it's a good model, I think. So I I didn't know there was one in Europe. So it's good to know that. Yeah, um, no, it's it's basically Ryanair copied the Southwest. Yeah. <laughs> model. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another company, EasyJet, but they use Airbuses opposed to Boeing's, um, which are very similar. They're not as big as Ryanair. I think Ryanair's nearly 500 planes now. We've got. Um, so yeah, it's, it's constantly expanding. That's great. I mean, uh, I, you know, I. Uh, in my career, early in my business career, I, I was really afraid of flying. And uh, I went to one of my bosses and he goes, well, you know, I fly a lot and I haven't died yet. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. But, you know, and then once you do it a lot, it's okay. But it just yes, it took yeah. me a while to get used to flying for business. But um, 
Yeah, no, I say, well, whenever I meet someone that's afraid of flying, I say, look, I've been doing it for 15 years and I've been coming home just fine, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, nothing bad happens really in aviation. So it's the safest form of transport, isn't it? So. Yeah, it is. Well, I could tell stories, but we're not here for that. So yeah. uh, <laughs> I know on, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is that you've spent time also helping to build awareness about testicular cancer. And I know mm. that... Um, I'm going to read this quote that you had on your LinkedIn page, but you really want to help inspire people going through cancer treatment. And you're on a mission for people to get to know their bodies and get checked if something isn't right. Exactly. Which is what you did. Yeah. Talk about some of the things you're doing to. uh, Um, At the moment, just speaking to companies. So a company will effectively um do a mental health or mental awareness or health awareness uh week or something like that and then um, they'll ask me to come and do a talk and basically do what i'm just doing with you now and just talking about my story and what happened to me and if you do get a cancer diagnosis it doesn't necessarily mean it's the end like you can get cured from it but the key is to know your body and to identify it early because if it's identified too late, then obviously the story's a lot different. Right. Um, and yeah, and to, to sort of break the taboo, there's nothing wrong about talking about testicles and breasts and things like that. No, there <laughs> isn't. People do shy away from it, you yes. know, and then they don't want to talk about those things. And um, yeah, and I've done one recently with the company and all the men that were on the call <laughs> later then checked themselves, which... That's all I ask, you know, so just go and check yourself. If there's something not right, you've got a lump or one's significantly larger than the other, go to the doctors and check it because I didn't have a lump. Mine was just bigger than the other. So, um, yes, it can be normal. It usually is normal to have one bigger than the other. Um, But if it's got larger or changed in size, you need to go to the doctor to get it checked. For so sure. why, do you, why do you think men are hesitant to talk about their health or check themselves or any of that related with their health? Uh, well, I think it's like a, a cultural thing. Men and ma- men are ma- uh, macho and all that sort of stuff. We don't talk about our feelings. <laughs> we don't talk about uh, what's wrong with us and all that sort of stuff. The world is changing in a positive way. That um, It's not like that so much anymore. But... And I think people get scared. So if they do find something, they sort of just bury their head in the sand and say, look, it's not really happening. Um, It's fine. It'll be fine next week. Like I did. I I did. It was only because of my wife. She literally dragged me kicking and screaming to the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Kudos to your wife then, Yeah, no, she did. Exactly. Between my wife and my daughter, they they generally saved my life. So, um, yeah, and the... The women in my life saved my life, basically. Yep. So, um, yeah, so any man out there, please check yourself or listening to this. And then if something's not right, go and tell someone. <laughs> go get yep. it checked out. Yeah. So what's next on the horizon for you? What are you, you know, down the road? Anything you want to share? Yes, well, just to raise more awareness about this, really. I mean, in the UK, I'm sure it's the same in America, November is the sort of testicular cancer push month. And everyone yes. 
grows a moustache, right. <laughs> which my wife doesn't allow me to do. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but she, do, she does want me to talk about things like this and push, obviously, uh, awareness for it. Um, but, yeah, it's just doing more of this, really. Um, yeah. yeah, doing more talks, speaking to more companies, getting more people talking about breasts, testicles in a, in a way that it's not embarrassing. Uh, and then making sure everyone does know their body. So if there is a lump or a change in anything, to just go to the GP. So um, in the UK, it doesn't cost anything. It's free. Um, yes, yes, that's a good so thing. So you can just go down there and just say, look, I'm not sure about this. And then they'll be like, oh, we're not sure either. Let's send you for a scan. Or they'll be like, it's nothing to worry about. So just if you pull the trigger early enough, cancer is completely curable. Right. So I have one final question I've been starting to ask people on the podcast. Do you have a song that when you hear it, you just have to sing along to it? Wow. That is a good question. Um, Is there a song I have to sing along to? Well, being a pilot, it's probably the danger zone from Top Gun. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that usually gets me going if I hear that on the radio when I'm driving to and from work or anything like that. Okay, that's good. Who's, who is the artist on that one? Do you know? Oh God, that you're testing me now. It is Brockheimer, isn't it? No, I can't remember now. That's okay because I don't uh, yeah. know either. But um, yeah, no, we'll, I, we'll, we'll I'll look. probably finish the call and I'll be like, oh, oh that's so-and-so. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really enjoyed our conversation, Richard. Thanks so much for taking the time to do it and for all you're doing with testicular cancer. I sure it's helping so oh no well thank you for inviting me along i really appreciate talking about it and you allowing me to share my story no it's been very nice um Uh, actually one thing i forgot to mention oh yeah go ahead was um the power of social media um it actually helped me quite a lot through my journey um because i documented my chemotherapy through instagram Oh, you did on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. So I would upload and it was very honest. So I didn't hold back or anything like that. Um, And it's on my Instagram. um, If I'm allowed to mention it, people. Oh, please do. Yeah. Um, Dad taking flight is the handle. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I've documented it there so they can go through my whole cancer journey in that respect and then follow me through the, the trials and tribulations that we're going through with COVID and um, what was going on with my chemotherapy uh, and all that sort of stuff like that. And um, yeah, no, and the amount of love and support that I got through doing that was overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. So social media, very much a positive in that respect. I know it has got a lot of negative at the moment, but in the press and things like that and what it does to mental health. But personally, on my journey there, it helped me so much because I just received love and support and the same for my wife. So, I'm very, um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think people listening would well, want to check that out. So thank Yeah, you. no, check it out. And then um, also, if they're going through a similar thing, don't be afraid. Put it. Put something up there. All you will receive back is love. I promise okay. you. Okay. So, That's um, a wonderful way to end, Richard. Thank you. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Joyce. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our program on your favorite podcast directory. You can also visit the Max Mallory Foundation at www.maxmalloryfoundation.com slash podcast to listen to previous podcast episodes or donate to the foundation. And join us again next time for another episode of Don't Give Up on Testicular Cancer. Thank you.